everyone. I'm Ellie Moriarty of Cambridge University Press, and our guest today is Lawrence Ball, author of The Fed and Lehman Brothers, Setting the Record Straight on a Financial Disaster. The book tells the compelling story of the weekend of September the 15th, 2008, when Lehman Brothers was forced to file for bankruptcy, triggering the Great Recession that followed. So 10 years on this month, there continues to be a heated debate about why the Federal Reserve did not intervene and rescue Lehman in the same way that it rescued other financial institutions, such as Bear Stearns and AIG. So Larry has spent four years meticulously researching the case. Um, so Larry, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, perhaps we can start with a quick reminder of what happened on and leading up to that day. Yes, well, it's uh, nice or interesting to be talking about this as the anniversary approaches. Um, the financial crisis unfolded over all of 2008. Bear Stearns was rescued in March, and then there were problems over the summer, but everything really came to head to, to a head in September 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the huge mortgage mortgage agencies, were taken over by the government on September 7th, um, and then uh, after that, it was one more week until the night of September 14th, or actually the early morning, 1.45 a.m. on Monday, September 15th, when Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy. Yeah. And, and then after that, um, the, the phrase that a number of people have used is, all hell broke loose, um, uh, AIG almost failed, the next had to be rescued. Mm -hmm. uh, there had to be massive government and Fed intervention in the banking system. And of course, we had the global financial crisis and the Great Recession. So you've touched upon this uh, just now, but why was the Lehman bankruptcy so shocking? Well, it was shocking for a number of reasons. It was by far the largest bankruptcy in U.S. history, uh, about six times the scale of WorldCom. Uh, which was the, the, the biggest bankruptcy before. Um, Lehman was the fourth biggest investment bank and very widely respected. And just the year before, in 2007, Fortune magazine had listed Lehman as number one on its list of most admired securities, securities firms. Uh -huh. So the fact that such a prestigious firm would suddenly go bankrupt was shocking. Also, it was shocking because it was unique. Lots of financial institutions got in trouble in 2008, Bear Stearns and AIG being perhaps the most famous, uh, others as well. And all of them, though, were rescued by emergency loans by the Federal Reserve. And Lehman has the distinction of being uh, uh, the one big firm that was not rescued by the Fed. And, and that was surprising. And, and um, uh, so, so that was why, one reason it was shocking. What do you think would have happened had the government bailed out Lehman? If the government had bailed out Lehman, uh, well, of course, we have to speculate. I, I say a lot in my book about what actually did happen before the bankruptcy and up until the bankruptcy. I think I have very clear views on that. Mm -hmm. Nobody can really know the alternative history if Lehman had been rescued. Having said that, I think probably the whole financial crisis and the whole Great Recession would have been less severe. A number of, as I, as I said, September 15th, when the Lehman bankruptcy occurred, was when the financial crisis exploded. And a lot of events followed very directly from the Lehman bankruptcy, the run on money market funds in the United States after one money market fund lost money on Lehman's commercial paper, and I could go on and on. Yeah. So 
I think uh, if Lehman had not failed, if it had been rescued, uh, or at least if the Fed had allowed it to be wound down in a slow, orderly manner, rather than uh, officials telling Lehman they had six hours to file a bankruptcy petition, I, I think with any luck, the financial crisis could have been managed and contained better. And we'd be, there still would have been losses. Um, uh, there, there were risky investments and the story of subprime mortgages and so on. We, we would look back at 2008 as a period when there were problems in the financial system and maybe that had some effect on the economy. But there's no reason it had to be such a huge once in a generation or once in several generations disaster. And you spent four years studying the case. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your research? So uh, some of the original sources you used, for example, and kind of what surprised you most about it? Yes. Well, one thing that surprised me, of course, uh, over the years, ever since the bankruptcy, as a macroeconomist, I'm just interested in why was there this huge crisis and recession. So I read a lot about Lehman Brothers, and a lot was written with a lot of speculation and different points of view and the truth seemingly unclear. When I started looking at it, what I discovered, which is still not very widely known, I think, is that there is a huge amount of very precise, hard information about what happened before the failure, um, which is which is readily available to anybody who wants to look at it. Um, a lot of this information comes from two huge investigations, one by the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, which was created by Congress, and the other done by an examiner appointed by the bankruptcy court in the Lehman case. And both of these groups had dozens of lawyers and accountants and finance people, and they both had subpoena power. So, uh, and, and they both now have very user-friendly websites. So anybody who wants to, with a few clicks, can go to these websites and look up the emails that Lehman Brothers executives and Fed officials were sending to each other mm -hmm. uh, the day before the bankruptcy, yeah. uh, and as well as every possible detail you can imagine, all the internal documents about Lehman's finances. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people have made conjectures or offered theories of what was happening uh, before Lehman went bankrupt, what policymakers were thinking, but you don't really have to speculate. In many cases, you can just look up what they were saying to each other in emails in real time. Yeah, and it's all in the public domain. Yeah. Um, so, who is ultimately to blame for the collapse of Lehman, um, in your opinion? So, capitalism, bad management, the Fed, a combination of these? <laughs> uh, I would <laughs> say all of the above and more. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I guess. Uh, capitalism is to blame in the sense that th this is this kind of crisis occurs repeatedly in capitalism. It's not clear whether we have a better alternative to capitalism. I don't know. It's uh, getting a bit far afield. Um, there were many, many, many people who made mistakes. Um, uh, homeowners bought homes they couldn't afford. Uh, banks made loans that weren't going to get paid back. Investment banks securitized bad mortgages, rating agencies gave overly generous ratings to mortgage-backed securities. 
regulators weren't paying attention, uh, professional economists like me weren't really paying attention or didn't understand what was going on. Um, so there's no shortage of people and institutions to blame. Um, what, what I focus on in my book is that despite all the mistakes, and even at the very last minute, even in the hours before the bankruptcy, if the Federal Reserve had acted in the right way, the, the whole uh, debacle didn't have to be nearly as bad. So, uh, so, so perhaps it's worth singling out the Fed uh, for the fact that they didn't step in uh, when they needed to to contain the crisis. Mm -hmm. And has the government stuck to its story about the collapse, or has the official official narrative changed? Um, you know, over the the last ten years. The official narrative has has not changed. Um, actually, it, it took a couple of weeks. In, in in the first couple of weeks after the bankruptcy, different government officials said conflicting things about why they didn't rescue Lehman, but. Yeah. I, I can tell you the date. It was October 7th, uh, 2008. So um, a few weeks after the bankruptcy, Ben Bernanke um, made a speech to a business group. And for the first time, he said, uh, we really wanted to rescue Lehman. We knew it would be a calamity, but it was not legal to rescue Lehman because the law requires that any loan be collateralized and Lehman didn't have enough collateral. So we really wanted to save Lehman, but we believe in following the law and it was illegal, so our hands were tied. Since that speech, Bernanke has repeated that in public dozens and dozens of times, and Henry Paulson, the Treasury Secretary, and Tim Geithner who was very involved as president of the New York Fed at the time, later Secretary of the Treasury, of course, they have fallen in line. Actually, just in the last few months, uh, in commemorating the 10th anniversary of the crisis, Bernanke, Paulson, and Geithner have been making public appearances together. They did an interview, the three of them, on National Public Radio. They're appearing actually next week at a conference of the Brookings Institution, and they are working very hard to make their narrative the official narrative and chisel it in stone. And uh, they just say over and over again, um, we didn't have the legal authority. There's no way we could rescue Lehman. We're sorry people don't believe us, but we couldn't rescue Lehman. It's almost as though they think that by saying something again and again and again and again, that will make it yeah. true. Yeah. Um, but but the, the, the facts just are not in line with that narrative. So in relation to sort of the legal framework, uh, what are the implications of the 2010 Wall Street Reform Act uh, for the future of financial institutions, and do you think it's working? Well, there are lots of different aspects of the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act. Um, some of them involve higher capital requirements and restrictions on risk-taking by financial institutions, which are probably healthy and go in the right direction of restricting risky activities. I mean, time will tell how effective, you know, just how strong and effective those regulations are and how long it takes uh, clever accountants and lawyers to figure out ways to get around the regulation or what's going to happen. The part of the Dodd-Frank, which is most relevant for my book, is a, rest a restriction on Federal Reserve lending. I I'm 
probably one of the few people who think that the big policy mistake um, in the financial crisis was not rescuing enough institutions, not rescuing Lehman. By far, the most popular view is that uh, too many institutions were rescued or, the, or there were too many bailouts, to use the negative term that people apply. Um, um, and the fact that, that so across the political spectrum, uh, Bernie Sanders says this was welfare or socialism for rich people. Uh, conservatives say this is a step towards communism, the government interfering with the banking system. Because of all the popular backlash to bailouts, uh, the Dodd-Frank Act put restrictions on the Fed's ability to lend to financial institutions in distress. And the, the details are complex, but what it boils down to is that in 2008, the Fed clearly could have rescued Lehman, and that would have been legal. With the new restrictions, um, if there were a similar situation, it might actually be illegal now uh, to, to do um, what the Fed could have done yeah. for Lehman in 2008, or to do what the Fed did do for AIG and Bear Stearns. Uh, those actions probably would be illegal under current law. And, and that's very dangerous because um, th that will tie the hands of the Fed um, in trying to contain future financial crises, even if they learn the lessons from 2008 and really want to do the right thing. So more broadly, Larry, uh, 10 years on, would you say that the banking culture has changed? Um, I would say not dramatically. Um, I think bankers are still um, aggressively trying to find new profit opportunities and make money. And again, this gets back to the issue of capitalism. <laughs> in, in a market system, it's not necessarily bad for uh, firms in any industry to try to find new profit opportunities. Um, so I, I don't think the culture has changed and the, the bankers basic, for better or for worse, bankers' basic values and behavior, I don't think, have changed dramatically. And I think it's not really realistic to expect human behavior to, to change. Um, I, I think what could change is regulations. Um, the, the, the government could uh, um, strengthen financial regulation, strengthen the reform, some of the reforms in the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act, um, and um, and prevent excessive risk taking. Now, of course, the political reality with the Republican control of the government is that we're going to go in the other direction. Uh, there's a strong ideological push for less regulation in every industry, whether it's the coal industry or the banking industry. In any case, I, I think it's hard to change culture. There could be regulatory changes that would be very uh, beneficial, but they're not going to happen in the near future because of the political situation. So, uh, just relating back, obviously this year marks the, the 10th anniversary of the collapse of Lehman and the Great Recession that followed. Um, you've talked about this uh, in some of your answers already, but what have we learned from these events and uh, could a financial crisis of this scale happen again, do you think? Uh, so, what, we, what have we learned? Well, we've been reminded of something we already knew, which is that um, any market economy um, periodically experiences financial crises. Mm -hmm. um, so over history, 
and, and it, it's very hard to predict the timing, but maybe on average every 20 or 30 years in the U.S. Uh, or in the U.K. for that matter, there's some one kind of financial crisis or another, and we can't know when the next crisis is uh, going to happen, but um, we know that eventually it will happen. And we were, I think before 2008, there was some overly optimistic thinking that maybe risk management in financial firms had really gotten so sophisticated and regulation had gotten so sophisticated that financial crises were a thing of the past. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we were reminded of uh, the fact that there are always going to be uh, financial crises. Yeah. Uh, we also learned, and, and again, we sort of knew this before, but might have forgotten the crisis that starts on Wall Street or uh, in the city of London, in, in the financial sector, can very quickly spread across the whole economy and uh, throw people out of employment uh, around the whole economy and around the whole world. So it, it's vital to try to protect the financial system, not just for the sake of the bankers, but for the sake of the whole economy. And, and maybe the, the, the last thing that was driven home was um, the fact that the, a central bank, the Federal Reserve in this case, uh, can be very useful in serving as what economists call the lender of last resort in providing emergency loans um, like the ones to Bear Stearns and AIG. I, I think we saw um, how uh, beneficial it can be in preventing disaster from the loans the Fed did make. Uh, we saw how costly it can be uh, not to rescue institutions by what happened when the Fed did not rescue Lehman. So returning uh, to your book very briefly, so what do you hope your readers will take away from reading it um, quite broadly? Well, okay, uh, narrowly I hope they take away the idea that regulation should be changed to allow the Fed to lend more. Um, broadly, um, well, I, I think that's a, a a fairly broad lesson that policymakers have to stand ready to um, step in as firefighters when there's a financial crisis, and that, and that there has to be some way that uh, policymakers can resist political pressures. Again, I think it was the overwhelming political opposition to rescuing Lehman that prevented the Fed from acting, even though uh, the economic fundamentals suggested they needed to do that. Um, I, I have to say, for, for me, one lesson that I've taken away, one very broad lesson, again, this is not a new idea, but it was driven home to me, is that one has to be very careful in uh, listening to statements by public officials. Mm -hmm. um, and and even, even the most, um, the most uh, prestigious, admirable public officials with the best reputations. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to put it bluntly, if Donald Trump says something, I figure, well, whatever he's saying is probably not true. Um, but Ben Bernanke and Henry Paulson and Tim Geithner are not like Donald Trump. Uh, they are widely and accurately perceived as uh, very knowledgeable, very competent, very hardworking public servants. Uh, and I think in general, I would have the presumption that if they say something, it probably is true or or they know what they're talking about and um, they're doing the best they can. But um, even with those policymakers, it turns out 
again, if, if, if there weren't any evidence one way or another that I could find and they said we had no rescue, no reason to rescue Lehman, I would probably say they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Um, but, but given that there is lots of evidence that contradicts what they're saying, it uh, just shows, I guess, you, you can't be too careful as far as uh, checking anything that a government official or a Federal Reserve official says. Uh, about about what they did and their motivations. Mm. So there's been a terrific response to the book so far. It's really captured the attention of the global media. So we've seen coverage in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and earlier this week, uh, The Guardian over here in the UK. Um, and you've also done a number of radio interviews. So how has the reaction been from your perspective so far? Well, most of the reaction, honestly, has been good. Um, I, I think, well, uh, people at the Federal Reserve and friends of the Federal Reserve have, have not reacted to the book uh, or reacted silently. So I don't know um, whether people at the Fed have read the book or what they, I mean, I can guess what they think about it if they read it, but they haven't. Most of the, most of the reactions uh, that I've gotten have been along the lines of, I have suspected for a long time that, that um, there was something fishy about what the officials were saying, and I'm glad that you've actually documented that what I suspected was true was actually true. That's been a common reaction. Although I have to say, to be honest, um, I was very happy to have it uh, a piece in The Guardian, but I did look at the comment section, and most most of the comments from uh, Guardian readers were along the lines of the the big mistake was not letting all the institutions fail and putting all the crooked executives in prison. But overall, I've been I've been very pleased with the reaction to the book. Uh, and what's next for you, Larry? Are you working on a new book at all, or are you having a break now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working on research projects. I don't know. I, I don't know whether anything will become, most of the research I do is scholarly articles. It was kind of accidental. This book actually started out as a scholarly article, and it was kind of accidental that it grew to be 250 pages, and uh, that I also decided that it was something of broader interest that I should try to put in a book for a broader audience than just academics. So so we'll see. Right, right now, one issue that I'm very interested in is obviously uh, how much a regulation has been improved. And um, so I'm doing a number of research projects about different aspects of the Dodd-Frank Act and trying to look at them very carefully and um, uh, analyze scenarios in which uh, those new legal provisions would or would not prevent future crises. So that's an ongoing project. Well, this is a fascinating and controversial subject and one that will, I'm sure, continue to provoke discussion for many more years to come. So thank you very much for talking to us today, Larry. Uh, thank you so much.